Hey everyone, it is one o'clock Eastern. Uh, we're doing things a kind of a little bit different this week. Um, as normally, I know I do either a Monday or a weeknight show. And as I noted, uh, when I was kind of getting ready to schedule this last night, someone who was uh, close to me had their catalytic converter stolen right out from under their car. And so I was playing taxi service for most of the day yesterday. And uh, that's that's not a fun part to replace. So I don't know if any of you have been the victims of that, but that's a fun crime that's going around in some of these awesome cities. So uh, I thought I'd reschedule this for kind of a weekend edition, uh, NPR style, on uh, kind of the big news of the week, which was Elon Musk offering to buy Twitter. This caused so many fun levels of debate and takes, and maybe one of the, one of the most panicky I've ever seen corporate journalists on Twitter in my decades-long time on that hell site. Um, you saw so many just even takes from media outlets, Axios comparing them to a supervillain like Hank Scorpio. Um, the fun one today from... I believe I'm going to look this up because I don't want to get this one wrong. Uh, this might have been the L.A. Times today. Let me find this. Los Angeles Times, Elon Musk's paradoxical vision of running Twitter, less democracy and more freedom. <laughs> so this was an actual take going around our media, which was we need more content moderation to preserve speech and democracy and, and not less of it. Um. So I wanted to get kind of people's thoughts on this. And I also have, you know, as we usually do at these little sessions, um, you're going to pretend that I'm Elon Musk. And I want to hear your one idea for making Twitter better or something you would change. You get one idea, not several. Okay, I'm Elon Musk. I'm very busy, as you can tell. Um, and so I want to hear your your ideas. Um, David Sachs, who... Uh, is a founder of Colin says, here's a new tweet. Here's a new Twitter CEO checklist, open source, the algorithm, eliminate all bots, restore free speech, implement Coinbase policy on workplace politics, fire useless employees. That's maybe 50% and no more company wide days of rest. Take vacation. If you're tired. Um, and obviously he, he kind of knows what he's talking about, kind of dabbling around in these platforms. Um, as I said on my podcast to this week, what you saw was sheer panic coming from people whose you know career status uh, has been made off of Twitter. And the panic isn't necessarily from bias. I would argue that might be part of it, but I think this is more about control, that somebody who is not in their club might come in and tinker with their favorite toy and try to take their toy away. And that's largely where a lot of this is coming from, where you just saw, again, just sheer panic coming from uh, corporate journalists. And you also now have Biden's DOJ and SEC basically threatening to stop this sale should that happen. And I've talked about why that is, because Twitter is also this administration's governing heartbeat. And so... This is about retaining control over something that I think that they overvalue as a communication tool. Um, and because they overvalue it so much, uh, they are aiming to, again, maintain control over this platform. But as I said, um, if you were anywhere near Twitter this week, 
and you you know you were kind of in this you saw this kind of just sheer terror that twitter as a progressive company and has has embedded itself strictly almost into the orthodoxy of the political and cultural left um, that could all be upset. And I don't think it's upset by someone who is te- technically a person who's a conservative or libertarian or someone who's on the right. He's just someone who is not in that club. Um, we saw hot takes from people like Max Boot in the Washington Post about the dangers of having a billionaire run Twitter uh, without zero self-awareness of who runs and who owns the Washington Post. Uh, reporters for Bloomberg. And uh, we saw several of these people, uh, Time Magazine reporters, who's uh, CEO in Salesforce and has a huge chunk in China. And so my, my, my stance on this is I'm not an Elon Musk fanboy by any means. Uh, I don't know if he would be good for Twitter or not, but I, I know he probably can't make it any worse. And so I want to hear some of your reactions, what you thought, uh, some of the fun things you saw. Um, some of your reactions. And then, like I said, if you want to pretend that I'm Elon Musk and tell me what, again, you would think you would do differently with Twitter. You have one, you have one thing you can implement. Um, Pretend it's like Springfield elementary school and we just got a windfall of cash. So it's like the the guitars that are double guitars or whatever. And so again, and thank you for kind of uh, bearing with my sudden schedule change, whatever. But uh, like I said, we'll have a fun kind of, weekend afternoon and uh we'll go for an hour a little bit over and we'll get as many people in uh so give me your thoughts on uh musk phobia running rampant through journalism and platforms it 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 literally it was one of the most telling days uh i've ever seen you had katie turn msnbc saying we just we can't let people run rampant on this thing and uh if you didn't have if you're not someone in my business and what I do, and you didn't have a stupid, silly grin across your face. Uh, I don't know if he buys Twitter. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know if this is going to happen or if this is just, you know, he's shit posting and trolling and all of this stuff. Um, but whether or not he buys it or not, it was one of the most revealing days I've seen about our media and what our media thinks and how our media operates and just how absolutely terrified they actually are of losing control. And as I noted, these are people in an industry who believe Twitter should operate like TV networks and cable networks, which is we sit there, we talk, uh, you can scream at the TV, but they can't hear you. Um, you read their words in newspapers. You're not able to respond. It's just, we're going to put out the information and you're going to shut up. And as we've learned with platforms like Twitter, we've learned with Facebook, we've learned with platforms like Substack, Patreon, of course, call in right now, um, where there's about 70, 70 of you here. And as I run things, I don't really believe in having guests and, you know, me and them banter back and forth. Um, I believe these platforms are for everybody and I believe they're for you. And I want to hear your ideas. I'm not really interested in hearing what Katie Turr has to say anymore. These people to me had their chance and they blew it. So, again, it was one of the most revealing things that I've ever seen where you really learn just they thought that they had Twitter under control, that this was their platform. It's a platform for journalists. We're going to stop the spread of misinformation, which has resulted in stopping the spread of accurate information that they just don't like, which is mainly what this is about. And uh, they're, they, they look like they're terrified to lose it 
right prior to an upcoming election. And then, of course, we have a national election in three years and they are running scared. And I would be lying if I, if I didn't say that I kind of love seeing them running scared. So, like I said, uh, give me your give me your thoughts on Elon Musk and Musk phobia um, and what you saw, your reactions. And then, like I said, I want to hear your ideas on how you would make Twitter better. Give give Elon some ideas. And I'm going to jump right in. Like I said, we'll go for about an hour, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, Joe, how are you? Long time no talk. Did you beat did you beat your Elden Ring boss? that you've been like complaining to me about Steven, before I go into all of that, before I go into Elden ring, Elon Musk, and what I want to get your thoughts on, I need to clear the air on something. And it's absurd that I have to dignify this, but there is no sex tape. I don't believe you. Well, you know, this is just what comes from the overwhelming burden of being a loyal patron. And the things that we all have to deal with, where we just get, th- th- this gets just thrown into the ether and we all have to deal with this. And then just <sighs> random misogyny from people on the other side of the aisle. Are, are you coping okay? I, I, I am, I am, I'm trying. I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing my best. Nice. Uh, Joe, so, Joe, for those of you who don't know, is referring to Florida governor candidate Nikki Freed, who's having some trouble catching on, I would say. Um, Nikki Freed, it's interesting that you brought this up because she is someone who, again, puts so much overvalue on what Twitter is. Uh, if you went strictly by her Twitter feed, she has something like 500,000 followers. Uh, she's popular with the Lincoln dudes. She's popular and resist. She gets thousands of retweets for, you know, standing up to DeSantis. And then a local Florida reporter covered one of her campaign events. And there was like 12 people that showed up. Um, it, again, this is just really telling about, you know, just the, you know, the chasm and the chat and the gap in reality to what we are and what we do online. Um, so, so she basically in a, in, in a weird attempt to get traction, just blurted out, there is no sex tape <laughs> and everyone just kind of stopped and went, okay, cool. And thank But my question was about how you're going to allocate state excess funds from the state budget, but okay, thanks for clarifying. So that was a fun one that she threw out. Uh, but Nikki Fried is a, is a very, very good example of what I'm talking about, about someone who has an outsized influence on a platform like Twitter, um, who very much does not want to see that impacted or affected. And then in, she gets out running in the real world and she, she has a crowd of 13 or 14 people show up at her events. She truly has a gift that keeps on giving. Um, so my, um, my one thought about, um, what I would like for, uh, Elon Musk to, um, if not get rid of, um, but to at least substantially alter is just the editorializing that Twitter does under what is trending, AKA what is not actually trending, but what Twitter, Twitter wants people to think is trending. So like, for example, anytime Marjorie Taylor Greene blurts out something out of her stupid mouth, um, of course it's the top of Twitter and they just have to put in their 30 cents there as to um, how it's wrong or incorrect. I'd like to see that go away. Um, And I would like it to be just a hell of a lot more anarchy laced in nature with just, if someone tweets something that is so ridiculously out there um, that does not have anything to do with the right side of the aisle, but it just catches on. 
to where a million other people are tweeting it. Yeah, I'd like to see that at the top. I would just like a little bit more anarchy reintroduced to the equation and a lot of uh, um, editorializing from, you know, the higher ups at Twitter as to explaining to us what this tweet is, because it just it, it feels it feels incredibly vox in nature, like we're going to explain Twitter to you. So I, it, it's probably minor in the grand scheme of things, but I would really like to see that gone away with. Um, I'd like your thoughts on that. And then I do have a brief comment that I'd uh, like your thoughts on as well, Stephen, and then I'll hang up. Yeah, Twitter didn't used to do this. If you were, if you were kind of back in the Wild West, it just things trended. And then if you were interested, you would go click on it and you would see tweets. And this was part of how Twitter caved to journalists, mainly because of what happened in 2016, because they lost the 2016 election. And this is how Twitter became kind of a backwards model where Jack Dorsey wanted to please journalists and he didn't want to be the, you know, part of the smear campaign, or he didn't want to be thought of as the reason why Trump, Donald Trump won the election. So they created like a whole sidebar and a whole department of what Joe says, which is editorializing tweets and topics. I'm looking at it right now. It says politics trending Chomsky. Well, we all know who that probably is. And it says people discuss American linguist and philosopher Noam Chomsky's comments about the war in Ukraine during a secret appearance or recent appearance on the current affairs podcast. Well, they're just telling you people are talking about something. They're not even kind of really going into what this is about. But as Joe notes, Every time, like, a right-wing nutball, like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Warren Babin or whatever, like he says, tweets out something stupid about Jewish space lasers, whether or not that that's trending or not, that will immediately go to the sidebar and say, fact check, the, the Jews do not, in fact, have space lasers or whatever. And it's not even so much a political aisle thing, although it's if you if you pay attention to it, it's, it's certainly bias. Um, if you go to, like, Twitter's COVID-19 trend, uh, they they put this up obviously because of the pandemic, and you can go down, and right now, and they haven't updated this forever. It says uh, COVID nineteen live. Experts say masks are safe and effective in helping prevent the spread of COVID nineteen. Okay, some are, but that that in and of itself is not fully context information. Um, and then it goes down and it says there is no evidence that COVID-19 vaccination makes male fertility issues. Fact checkers and medical experts say, OK, that's I'll read that. But it some of the information is not updated. It's only giving you information from the CDC and the American government. And so I'm sitting here going, is this what Twitter is? We're only we're only going to put out information from the, the, the federal government on what uh, COVID-19 is. Now, I get that they're trying to in the interest of journalism and editorial standards are trying to get, you know, to, li to limit information where people are like vaccine gives you, you know, hairy palms or whatever. But if that's what people are going to tweet about, then that's what people are going to tweet about. And if people want to respond to that, then people are going to respond to that. And so I'm kind of with Joe. Uh, I kind of came of age in the wild west of the internet. I kind of came of age in the old uh, 4chan and, and Reddit and ain't it cool news message boards and in MySpace, and I I'm one of those same people where I think that this is kind of one big giant sandbox, and it's kind of one big social experiment to find out can we can we be trusted with this kind of platform? Can you know? And the thing you have to understand about social media people who develop social media apps a lot of the time people like Zuckerberg and Dorsey and 
a lot of the time they think that everything that they're going to do is going to benefit all of mankind, that they're going to unite the world and, you know, we're going to be using these platforms to connect with each other and and do this. And most of the times we're just doing this to drop mudkip memes and floppy cocks. OK, that's just who we are as people. You're not going to change people. And, you know, one one idea, and I'm sure someone might have had this, is must you just buy Twitter and, and shut it down, destroy it. And I'm willing to bet that there's probably a good chunk of people out there who would say, yeah, that's that's probably a good idea. And uh, I also like what David Burt said, uh, Iowa Hawk blog on Twitter. And he said, you know, the Twitter's problem is no one makes any money off of it. There, there are people on, who have made oogles of money off of YouTube. You know, there's YouTube stars. You could, you could have just been a random person uh, with some hot takes on video games or films. And now you're red letter media and you're making seven figures a year doing something that you could have never done had you gone the traditional route of Hollywood. Uh, you have TikTok influencers visiting the fucking White House. You just kids with TikTok who just lip sync and dance. And next thing you know, you're at the White House. Um, you can take me as an example. When I st- when I kind of jumped on Twitter ten years ago, I kind of had a, I had an idea of what, how I wanted to use it. And but I you know then all of a sudden Michelle Malkin and uh, God rest her soul and Twitchy kind of latched onto me. And it's it was an airplane that took off, and and here I am. I've you know been able to kind of spin a decent career, where a good chunk of people, for whatever reason or not, have interest in things that I say. And so, I think he's right about that. It, that Twitter, Twitter has not really monetized its user base. It's, it hasn't really created. It's created you know uh, marks where journalists are going after people for jokes and, and gifts, you know, wrestling gifts and things like that. So it's become a weapon for corporate media, which is why I don't have much sympathy for Elon Musk, you know, tinkering and taking away their favorite toy. But I'm, again, I kind of came of age in kind of what Joe's talking about, which is I'm, I'm pretty much for a free for all. Um, I don't really pay attention that much to what people are tweeting or saying. It's really not hard. Um, if you look at this app, if you look at Get Callin, there's a whole roster of people. Um, and, and some of them are in politics and I don't like and I don't agree, and, but I don't think about them. I'm not out here trying to get their channel shut down. I'm not out here trying to critique their content. They're free to put it out there and people are free to listen or read or not. And it really is to me that simple. Uh, go, what else? What else, Joe? What's wh- um, what I wanted to uh, get your take on was actually in regards to um, our number one favorite um, boomer dad president Twitter exile. Um, so over the past week, uh, Trump has given two pretty high profile endorsements, one for the Pennsylvania Senate race, which is where I'm at. Um, and the other one was yesterday um, for uh, J.D. Vance in the Ohio Senate. Um, starting off with the Pennsylvania Senate race, so he endorsed uh, Dr. Oz, um, the television personality, and who I also just think is kind of a total fucking quack. And I um, had posted on um, the Patreon um, like a, uh, when, when he made the endorsement that I'm going to be voting for Dave McCormick in the Senate primary, just mainly as a middle finger to Trump. Um, And there were a lot of people in, um, you know, Pennsylvania politics and also conservative, um, even MAGA leaning people like even Kurt Schlichter 
after he made that endorsement, were saying like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, why on earth would you endorse Oz? Well, the real reason is because he was on TV. Um, and then yesterday with his endorsement of JD Vance, um, you know, that to me, um, what my, what my read is on the situation and what I'd like uh, your take on Steven is these are very much high risk, but also potentially high reward bets that he's making. I think to turn the narrative around because to really test his influence right now, it's obviously all that we have for him is his endorsements. And it looks like Georgia governor, if the polling is to be believed, that Kemp might even just win this outright, where Purdue, who Trump endorsed, isn't even going to force it to a runoff. And you have, uh, obviously, you know, very woke Mo Brooks in Alabama is, you know, currently fighting a very valiant effort for third place. So the, the, very woke, the very woke Mo Brooks. Remember, he's woke. Very, very woke. Yes. When I think of, uh, you know, when I when I think of woke and I think of white privilege and institutional racism, the biggest scholars on it are Ibram X. Kennedy and Mo Brooks. That's who I think of right there. Um, so, yeah, I just um, I would like uh, your thoughts, because the, these endorsements to me kind of feel to a certain extent to be make or break for him for really exerting his influence, if, if indeed there is much there. Um, I think that this is the biggest issue with Donald Trump, and I don't want to say it's undercover. I think it's I think people are, are starting to see it uh, with Dr. Oz. You, I mean, you said it's just because he was a celebrity on TV. I think it's more than that. He's he's close friends with Melania Trump, and I think that that's really what this is. I just think it's he's he's a family friend, and it's Donald Trump's wife's friend, and that that's it. And uh, I did I did pay attention to some of the upset kind of people in MAGA world over this, and I was just kind of like, really, this this is what it takes, and. There was just something written today where one of the, you know, his former spokespeople said, yes, this is exactly what it takes. Um, and, of course, you saw in Georgia, Trump's basically actively campaigning for Stacey Abrams at this point. And um, I, the Ohio race to me is is a complete grab bag. I'm, I'm paying attention to it. But this, the Ohio race is also something that, again, the reality of Twitter is not the reality of what's happening in the race. If you if you just paid attention to Twitter, you would think Josh Mandel is you know running away with this and he's just a kook and a crazy. And then it's J.D. Vance and, and whatever. And it's still a pretty tight race. Um, I do think how Trump candidates perform in this upcoming election will kind of decide once and for all what his grip on the party is. And I also think that this is kind of funny in the media narrative. They want to tell you that Donald Trump has a has a stranglehold on the Republican Party, while simultaneously a lot of his candidates that he's endorsing aren't doing well. And that could be doing well in primaries. It could be doing well in final races. Um, Herschel Walker is a perfect example of this. Herschel Walker was pushed by Trump strictly because he's a, a football player and, and he's, a, he's an icon in Georgia and whatever like this. And they kind of ignored all the baggage that is about to be dumped on Herschel Walker in that race that Democrats are just waiting for. They're just holding on to, to make sure Herschel Walker uh, gets through that to take on, I think, Warnock. And then that's it. They're going to just dump everything that they have on him. And again, Herschel Walker was a candidate pushed almost solely by Donald Trump. And so 
you know, you have two roads, they have two roads that they can go here. So you have, again, the Dr. Oz's, you have these kind of celebrity style, apprentice style candidates like Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz. These are two guys that could be on The Apprentice. Or you have candidates like Glenn Youngkin and McCormick, who are just kind of milk toast businessmen guys. And it seems to be that that's where voters want to go back. Um, that says nothing of what happens in 2024 with Trump. If Trump runs, he's probably going to be the nominee in 2024. Um, but how these candidates do in this cycle and, and Trump back candidates do will go a long way to seeing where the base of the party is. Do they want more of these kinds of shenanigans? Do they want to move on from, you know, stolen election talk, which if he gets the nomination, that's all it's going to be. And the media knows it and they want it and they're pining for it. Um, or does Trump do these candidates not do well and most of them flame out or bomb out? And does Trump take a hint and go, well, you know, maybe maybe this time has passed. I, I'm not that optimistic, um, but Joe does bring up some good points about the style of candidates that he's endorsing and kind of the revolt that you saw, especially in Pennsylvania. Um, I mean, we'll find out what his endorsement means. I don't know if Donald Trump's endorsement can just pull someone over the finish line. I don't know if he has that kind of grip on the party, but we'll see. Brandon, what are your thoughts on the, the, the journalist meltdown that we saw this week? And if you could change one major thing about Twitter for Elon Musk, what would it be? We lost Brandon. That's all right. Uh, Matt, if you're there, how's, how's New, Let's how, go tell me how New Jersey's doing, if you're up in Jersey right now. And what, was, what would be your major change for Elon Musk that you would implement on Twitter? Yeah, I'm not in New Jersey. I'm in Massachusetts. Oh, that's... Is that some sort of... But you, were you driving to New Jersey, or do I have you mixed up? Other dude. There's another dude from Massachusetts. His name's Jesus Matt. Jesus Christ. You're good, you guys. Good, good, good. You got a good recall. We'll up, your, I'll up my Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> especially for a Saturday morning or a Saturday afternoon, whatever time it is. Miller, Miller, um, I, I have some ties to the tech industry, so I know what's going on with Twitter. Not in general. Like, I'm a peon at the, at the, at the end of the day, but... I think I'm going to reiterate what that last guy said is if Musk took over, I think he just needs to reset the tech stack and the algorithm to what it was in 2010 and let it and let it's like let it play out and then iterate with features and enhancements to the product. Because you can't take the state of what it is now and go, oh, we need to do the Homer Simpson and go, we need to add a horn. We need to add a big grill when he was designing that car in the Simpsons episode you need to almost reset the platform because Twitter has been hijacked and it is now more of a, they are a publisher now. It's clearly they are. And that ties into the panic. Um, but I think you just need to reset the platform to what it was in 2009 and 10 and then iterate and feel like, figure out, okay, what is it missing and how do we make more money? That's what he needs to do. Um, I think the challenge and the uproar with politicians and media people this week is, Whoever gets in there, and I don't care what legal things are put in place in NDAs, somebody is going to FOIA Twitter. The guy from Judicial Watch or somebody or Peter, Peter Thiel will get a board seat, and they're going to leak every fucking DM and email and whatever from politicians and media people from the last five years. And you can start with COVID, and you can do the Trump stuff, but there's a lot of bad shit that probably was said and 
favors that were requested that were fulfilled. Um, and I think the big thing is the uh, 203 um, bit because they clearly are a publisher. They're curating content. It's not organic. And once somebody looks at that, if they get pulled in front of Congress, then they're going to get that whole 230 thing revoked. Yeah, and I'm not – I've I've talked about 230. I mean, I'm not – I'm not pro revoking 230, but what I've said is if Twitter doesn't figure this out, it's going to happen. Um, I'm with you that especially in the last two to three years, Twitter has, in, has become a publisher. Again, when they're when they're contextualizing tweets and content uh, for their readership, as I said, like here, here's one. Uh, Chuck Todd, trending in the United States, MSNBC host Chuck Todd's comments about the Democratic Party's leadership structure during Friday's episode of Meet the Press Daily sparks a discussion. And then you go to this and it's a whole news thing like they're they're writing content. They're just not curating tweets or, you know, sparking debate. They're not pulling tweets and saying, OK, here's what this person said and here's the opposing view. They're, they're certainly pushing an agenda and a narrative and um, they're largely doing it at the behest of kind of their younger, woker employees. Um, yeah, and I think another- a couple of things too, like one just small it's a, it's not a bug, but it's clearly a deliberate tactic is the Jen Psaki tweet that you replied to, where she was clarifying what she said at that po- that live podcast. What I find all the time is when I click the quote tweet to read what people are saying, not the replies with left leaning accounts. Um, there's that guy that shares all that like fake, fake information. He's a media guy that you always shit on. But Saki in, in, in particular last night, I clicked on that because I wanted to see the quote tweets and not, not nine out of 10 times, but then it was a controversial reply or tweet from somebody. I always get the, there's nothing to see here yet, like error message. So like you can't see any quote tweets when clearly there have been some quote tweets. There's shit like that that they do. Um, but the one thing that Twitter has done, and I know you always mention that like 90% of the US isn't on Twitter. And I, and I totally agree with that. But they are kind of um they kind of are everywhere tweets get embedded in articles they get referenced in media like discussions or on 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 news programs so it it basically is um evergreen throughout our society even though we don't have 90 percent of people on it and the other thing too is is they fucking they have kind of almost redefined terms and words and they've made twitter a very uh you know, clean platform where only certain things can can be said. I think the overall concern there is if you let a bunch of jamokes like me and you run wild there, this whole way of controlling speech and defining what is hate speech and what you can say in the not even on Twitter but elsewhere, um, that's just going to go out the window. Yeah, I, I know when you mention like this is kind of what I mean about how journalists and news organizations overvalue what Twitter is because you're right you. Twitter drives their industry, and you, you're right. You, tweets are embedded into news stories. They use Twitter to pu- to push their stuff out, and but that's exactly what I would argue that they do overvalue people's tweets. They do overvalue what people are saying. Now, there's politicians, there's world leaders, obviously, that are on there, and and they use that to get their message. And I think that that's stuff that is newsworthy. But you know, tw- you know, two hundred people talking about what color a fucking dress is to me is you know, that the BuzzFeed model of, you know, overvaluing what Twitter is. And generally what people are talking about on the platform is not what people are focused on 
you know, elsewhere. So I would agree that there is an over, there's a journalistic overemphasis on what the platform is, which is why you're seeing them just completely shitting their, their pants over the idea that someone who is not in their club might be running the platform. And like you said, um, p- suspending accounts that aren't, that aren't pushing anything that's considered hate speech. They're just, it's something that Twitter disagrees with now. Um, we can have the philosophical argument over, say, trans issues, for instance, but Twitter has taken a has taken a very pointed editorial stance on what you're allowed to say when it comes to issues of of trans individuals in sports or in life or, or whatever. They've clearly staked out an editorial position on that where um, if you say the wrong thing, whether it's offensive or not, your account is in risking of getting destroyed. And so that to me is the bigger issue. And that is a, you know, that is something that is, again, overvalued on the political left. And these bans and these things happen in one direction all the time. There is there's no balance of this stuff. And that's where I think Elon Musk says, you know, we want transparency of the algorithm. We want trans we we want content transparency. And, And, you know, I reference this on my podcast where someone said, the political right isn't really out to get people banned. They just want transparency in how the rules are applied. And Twitter too often will ban an account or lock an account, say like the Babylon Bee, and then you won't hear why. No one understands why. It's just that ah, we did it. Sorry. Goodbye. And Twitter yes. is an expert at picking these little fights. And I've noted, I've said this. This is why accounts like Laura Loomer, who's just a complete nutbag, She's easy to get rid of because she's not really popular and she says things that are, you know, indefensible to a lot of people. Um, and she's easy to get rid of because no one's really going to raise up a stink. And, and someone like Alex Jones, for instance, who has a bigger following. Um, th- these are people who are, you know, right of mainstream and have kooky views and they might be doing it as a character. We don't know. Um, but these are easy fights. Twitter will not pick the hard fights. You know, they won't kick off, say, a a company or a corporation or somebody who says, I like to slap that kid right across the face or whatever, who's a New York Times writer or something, because they know if they do that, they're going to have every journalist from CNN to the New York Times, the Washington Post up their ass for a week. And they don't want that. And so one one last comment. um, Yeah, go ahead. David David Sachs actually said he made a really good point. Um, I think anybody that like. Like I think Devin Nunez left Congress to go be the CEO of Truth Social. And anybody that has gone on to start any of these other like build their own platform sites, like these people are dumb. Like they're they're never going to be successful. And it is very entrepreneurial. I'll give them all the credit. But Twitter, David Sachs basically said Twitter now is the public square. Whether you like it or not, and that, and I think to your point, like ninety percent of people really aren't on Twitter. But when a conversation happens, people go to Twitter whether they go download the app where they use a burner account or they just check it out on the mobile site like and not log in. So David Sachs is right is because Twitter has now got the scale globally where you can basically use Twitter as, and be the Ukrainian government and win a fucking war and meme while you do it. And it's going to be so hard for anybody to overtake that at scale. And that's why Musk isn't building his whole Twitter because that would take way too much time and effort and money and shifting behavior. And it would just take too fucking long. Um, and so it's more of a comment or observation. So like all these people who are um, starting parlors, they're just never going to be very successful at scale. And I think the, the biggest observation is 
two top tech people from Truth Social resigned the same day Musk uh, Musk bought like the nine percent stake in Twitter. Subsequently, just those two people quit. Whether it was because Trump told them they sucked or they just weren't getting the traction that they thought they'd get in Truth Social. But also the same day, fucking Musk buys nine percent nine percent stake in Twitter, and they go, "Fuck, we're never going to get this thing off the ground because of this guy." So. Yeah, and and one of the reasons why a lot of these apps fail is because they're echo chambers. Um, journos are not going to go over to Parler. They're not going to go over to Gab. Uh, celebrities aren't going to go over to it. Um, and you know, as I've always said, you have to meet these people where they are. They they think Twitter belongs to them and the political left. And then say someone like me comes in, and I just sit down in their living room, and I just start kind of. You know, I don't insult them, but I just, you know, I don't agree with what you're saying. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, no, it's not your house. I can sit here if I want. And then it's, you know, we're going to try to get you kicked out of the house or I'm just going to block. I'm going to put you in the closet and and block you or whatever. Um, And that's that's another reason why alternate apps fail, because Twitter really is dependent on people disagreeing with each other and punching each other in the face. And if you don't think that they don't like that as a business model, then you haven't been paying attention. There's a reason why the quote tweet feature, for instance, has never gone away. And I think the quote tweet feature, and I'm an abuser of it as anyone. I'm not sitting here, you know, whatever. I love the quote tweet feature. It's one of my favorite things. But if you want to get rid of, say, the dogpiling, that's what you would get rid of. And they know it, but they're not going to do it. Um, and like I said, Twitter very, very much so takes an editorial point of view of the political left. So um, that's why accounts like Libs of TikTok get banned or the Babylon Bee gets banned or, or, or whatever. Um, and the, that's the reason why a, a lot of these other apps just fail. Because Trump's Truth Social, I've never been on it. I think I parked an account just like whatever, when it came out or so you're, you're now on true social. And I just parked it and I left it. I haven't even looked at it. Um, but that's pretty much primarily a place for, you know, people who are Trump people. And then, you know, Trump friendly journalistic outlets, like say the federalist will go and they'll, they'll spread their message through the, the echo chamber, which is great. You'll get a lot of engagement. Um, but I don't think you're really solving anything, uh, as to the point to where, for instance, Donnie O'Sullivan from CNN just wrote a piece at CNN uh, talking about how great it is that Barack Obama is now enlisted in the disinformation wars. Well, I countered that at DC Examiner, and I can tag him and go, here you go, Donnie. He's not going to reply to me. That's not the point. But the point is, is he knows that I'm out there, and he knows that I can counter that stuff. So that's another reason a lot of these apps, they just they just fail. If, without a diversity of voices, um, you're, you're going, you're not going to really affect much. So but kind of like what Matt is saying, you know, because journalists value put so much value on Twitter or celebrities even, but even now celebrities aren't using Twitter that much as Elon Musk noted, like Taylor Swift hasn't tweeted in months. Um, her, her silence is deafening on this, by the way. Uh, Craig, what are your thoughts on, uh, rampant Musk phobia and what, what's the one big thing you would do to, uh, improve Twitter? What's going on, Steven? Um, Elon Musk's situation this whole past week has been wonderful. You know, watching the left crochet its thong into knots over the thing has been absolutely hitting all of the right pleasure zones. It's, uh, it's like, you know, seeing the mask get ripped off and it's pulling off a little flesh while it does. Um, it's been really enjoyable, just like I'm sure you, you have felt yourself. Um, but as far as, as you're pretending, <laughs> pretending you're Elon Musk, 
Dude, I just want my old account back, man. You know, uh, pissing off a Jeffrey Tubin fan. What What did you not, do, Craig? I, I, okay, got a Jeffrey Tubin fan who was defending what he did on Zoom. We all know he did. Um, and I said, listen, he is a homunculus mongoloid who deserves to be fired. And then, boom, not, not even, not even a, a, you said this, and this is why we're blocking you, just gone. The whole account gone, just like you said in the, in the last segment. Uh, just they'll just hack you off and not even give you a reason. Were you permanently yeah. suspended for, over yes. that? Yes, it's Craig. Did you yeah. say anything else, and you're just not admitting it? No, I was actually behaving myself that day, and I was, I was thinking that's probably the, the only thing I could think of that I said because I've said it before, not about him, but I've used that phrase, and I'm sure it was the homunculus mongoloid thing that they focused on. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to piss off any people with Down syndrome. But, yeah, and if you know if that's the case, then Fine, then I'm gone, okay? But I don't think that was the case. Um, and as far as doing anything, you know, with it, uh, as far as the, t- the technical part of it, I don't know. I mean, everyone keeps asking for an edit button, but why? If you're if you're so stupid that you have to have the spelling done right, then just move along. Um, yeah, I'm, get, I'm you, one you of the most... What people just said. I'm, oh, one of the most <laughs> I'm one of the most prominent anti-edit button people out there. I think I think it's a I think it's a catastrophic idea where yeah. it's going to it's going to create so many more problems than it will solve. For me for an edit button, if you have a typo, just delete the fucking tweet and just repost it. And I've right. never had people go, "Oh, you deleting tweets. It's stupid." Like, oh, who cares? Delete the tweet, put it back up. Um and I know that people there's an etiquette where I've deleted this tweet to then here's my correct I don't even believe in doing that. Just delete a tweet. It's fine. Uh, and if, you, if you're deleting it because of embarrassing content, then you're going to get owned by it. But mm-hmm. if it's for uh, if you're editing a typo or if you're editing something, just don't just just delete. Who gives a shit or leave it up? I leave t- I leave tweets with typos up all the time. I'm a writer. I'm not an editor. Yeah, you, so. you, if, you, if you have yet to figure out which letters are on the damn keyboard and they're next to. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> yeah, that's where people get upset. Oh, this is that. And, so that I, technically, I don't think that, you know, I, I could offer anything, you know, as far as just, you know, stop banning people and, and suspending accounts over stupid shit. You know, if, if, if you know, we know there, we know what is civilized and impermissible, you know, you, you throw up something that, or, you, or you're just continually badgering someone saying the same thing over and over and calling them names. Fine. You, you push your limit. I think that's what Elon even hinted to in some interviews, like a kind of a timeout instead of a permanent suspension thing. It's like, you know, how about 24 hours in the drunk? There, there is a block button and a mute button and both. Yes. Are, you're free to yes. use both. And <laughs> yes. that doesn't stop. That doesn't always necessarily stop, you know, very dedicated no. people. No. But it doesn't the higher users generally don't abuse that. If you're blocked, you just kind of move on. And, and there's yeah. times when I'll, I'll post a screenshot of something, you know, like Brian Stelter, who has blocked me. And did? Um, Finally? I'll, I'll, po- I'll post a tweet of his and I'll say, you know, here's the content. But I also don't generally hurl, you know, personal insults. Once in a while, you fucking moron or something. But, um, you know, Elon Musk has said it really good. He said, you know, what, what is free speech? His speech is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something that you don't like? And are you, are, can you coexist, not even in like the same room, can you just coexist on a social media platform because of that? And we've seen this idea, especially on the political left, that they absolutely cannot. 
You cannot question their pronouns. You cannot question, you know, their their theories on racial essentialism. You cannot do that because you're going to you're putting lives in danger. You're going to be killing people, Craig. Do you understand? Yeah. People are going to die because of your tweets. <laughs> and this is they get this is kind of, this they is grab kind their of neck and they're like, I got to sue somebody. Yeah, this is kind of campus culture of the last five years coming into the real world where a lot of us said, you know, Melissa Click, can we get some muscle over here? You know, a lot of us said, a lot of us said that these are the kids they are going to hit the workforce and they're going to get a hard fucking lesson that they're not special little snowflakes. And then what happened is companies became fearful of their social media following. Terrorized. Terrorized. You know, managers didn't want to trend on Twitter because of a human resource decision that they made regarding, you know, Timmy's comments that were, you know, insensitive or something. So they caved and now they have a large, you know, they do have a bit of a grip on kind of enough of a grip on the cultural left where they can control a platform like Twitter to where I can't even, I cannot even question without risking of losing my account. You know, I don't really, I don't really, you know, I'm not really here to go after trans individuals, but I kind of don't think this thing with Leah Thomas is very cool. If I just do that, I'm in risking of gone. being gone. Gone. And that's the problem. Hang and him. So, Hang him in the public square. Craig, I will I will appeal uh, I will appeal to Elon Musk directly to try to get your account back. <laughs> I would love dude, I'll give you all the information. I'll, I'll, I I hope it's still there. I don't think they I'll have to check and see if it's even still under suspension. I don't know if they do they permanently get rid of him eventually. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe <laughs> if he takes space. over, you'll you'll be able to float back down. You won't be part of the leftovers I, anymore or something. Right on. Also, try to I've, look up look up on how to change your MAC address. That's as much as I'll say on that. Okay, okay, okay. All right, Stephen. All right, Craig. You behave about. yourself. I'll try. David, how are you? Uh, what would you? What are your thoughts on the kind of freakout that we saw with Elon Musk? And what what would you do? What to, what would be your one big thing you would present to him to fix or make Twitter better? Perhaps a perhaps a mute button for Twitter, which we already have, but just not in this context. Uh, oh, there he is. Hello. Yep, David, I got you. Oh, can you hear me? Yep. Yep, I got you. So. Uh... Let me see a couple things with uh, Elon Musk. I, I I believe that this is this will probably be one of the biggest uh, post speech free speech things that could happen if he is able to actually buy Twitter and and change some policies here and there and make a little bit more make conservatives a little bit less afraid to to be on the up on the on the app there. And probably in my lifetime, it's probably the biggest free speech advancement. Like, um, I, I'm 32 years old and, um, let me see, my family came, my, um, I'm a kid of immigrants. My parents came from Cuba. I grew up in Miami and this has just been like the past, like six years has been really good, really like shocking to a lot of Cubans down there in, in that area, uh, that they, now, a lot of conservatives and Cubans, especially, and this is why uh, Hispanics are turning to uh, Republicans in, some, uh, in large numbers now, is that uh, people feel like their their rights are, are are under attack. And obviously, one big thing that Musk could do um, is to promote a little bit more free speech on the platform. 
another thing is I have a lot of millennial friends and just a little bit like who don't use Twitter and tried it and like they just don't get it. Um, they like Instagram more, so maybe a little bit more incentive to uh, be a little bit more aesthetically pleasing, like Instagram. Or um, yeah, those are some uh, things. I, th- I think I think you bring up a good point, which is we've seen polling about you know immigrants and especially hispanics are drifting away from the political left in kind of for them at least alarming numbers and that started in the in the previous election the 2020 election trump's loss and his you know his shenanigans kind of overshadowed that shift as you saw we saw in border towns in texas and some in new mexico um and obviously we saw in florida and Part of kind of what you're talking about is why why is that happening? Well, you would argue, again, the overemphasis that the political left puts on a platform like Twitter, where they can just change, they can change the very identities of, of who Hispanics are by calling them Latinx. And by think, and, and then you have, you know, Hispanics and Latin people, you know, Latin American people kind of go, wait, what are you doing? What what is what is this? What is this Latinx crap that you're doing? Oh, we're being inclusive. And it's like, that's don't do that. Like stop doing that. Well, we're here to help you. We're here to be inclusive for you. We're, we're allies of you and your struggle of, you know, against the, the white oppressors. And they go, wait, what? Like, what, what do you know? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, and this is what I've talked about on my podcast about how the democratic party in particular and the cultural left use Twitter as kind of their, their weather vane. Um, to, to promote things that ultimately have been extremely unpopular. Defund the police came, came out of a hashtag of Twitter. And defund the police gets thousands of likes and people love it on Twitter. And so the Democratic Party sees this and they're like, oh, well, look at, look at how many thousands of people are, are interacting with this. This must be really popular. Let's take this national. Oh, shit, we just got wiped out. Um, and so you're starting to see that again with uh, the, the cultural, you know, the, the Latin American cultural Hispanics, which is, these things that take hold on Twitter that, you know, again, you also take hold in college campuses and, um, you know, places like TikTok where it's like, you know, these are our Latinx allies and friends. And they just kind of wrinkle their brow and look at them and go, wait, what are you talking like? What? That's not that's not who we are. Why are you changing this? Um, and a good another good example of how this kind of stuff, you know, takes a hold of them. And then keeps going is we saw just recently the, the, the text with Ginny Thomas, Clarence Thomas's wife, uh, between Mark Meadows about January 6th and whatever. And instantly it became, we need to impeach Clarence Thomas and retweet if you agree. And it got thousands of retweets. And then next thing you know, Ian Omar jumps in and goes, yep, we need to impeach Clarence Thomas. That gets 20,000 likes. And so they look at that and go, well, this must be really popular. And then they wonder why heading into elections or as we saw in demographic changes that they're losing people and it's because they they put so much emphasis about this kind of extreme online culture that they also use as a barometer for where they think that the country is or whatever and as like i've said the country's just not near any of those places um and again I'm also not one of these demographics or destiny people. I've I've never been an immigration hawk. I've never been a pro build the wall style person because I believe that those people can be one. And as we're seeing, you know, those communities, you know, it's you have upper rich white class liberals are the ones saying defund the police, get them out of, you know, 
neighborhoods that are African-American. And then you go and talk to African-Americans and they're like, no, we want the police here. I want my kids safe. No, no, really, you don't. You don't want that here. And that's really kind of where they are headed. And like I said, you have an interesting story. You're 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 uh, you come from a family of immigrants from Cuba where you've seen a kind of like real authoritarianism and you've seen this kind of stuff. And there really is. And as Glenn Greenwald says, the fact that the leading industry of people who think that we need to moderate speech are corporate journalists, that's a huge problem. And it's one that they can either back off them or they're going to just hit the gas pedal and go full Leroy Jenkins. So David, any, any thoughts or anything on I just said? Uh, just another point. I, uh, I'm currently living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and there was a police shooting this, uh, this week. And it, it looks like, um, you know, we still haven't heard the, the whole facts of the case. It looks like a guy, uh, just somebody pulled a stun gun on a police officer, tased them with it, and the police officer shot the guy. Um, so this, so what, so what, for, for those listening, for what David's, uh, uh, th- this is this is currently a situation that our media is trying to get off the ground because again we're coming up to an election. Uh, it's, a, it's a gentleman by the name of Patrick Laoya, who is a immigrant, I believe, from uh, Congo, and uh, I've watched the video. Uh, police officer pulls him over. He gets out of the car, which you're not supposed to do. Whether or not he knew that, I don't know. And he kept questioning the officer, like, "What am I? What did I do? What did I do?" And the officer says, "The plate on your car does not match." the registration, which means it's probably a stolen car um, or at least a stolen license plate. And he says, I need to see your license. And he wouldn't comply. He's just like, it's in the car. It's, it's right there. And the officer's like, I need you to grab the license for you, like whatever. And then the dude takes off. And then what you have is a police officer. Again, he pulls the stun gun. Uh, this guy pulls the stun gun away from the cop. And I haven't seen the actual graphic part of the video, but the cop ends up shooting the guy in the head in a scuffle on the ground. Everything that you see in this video, there, there are police shootings that are questionable, okay, where you look at it and you go, geez, man, uh, this, this one to me does not look questionable. Now, the argument the media is especially pushing on this is, well, he, he didn't know better. He, he's an immigrant and whatever. And this is a big problem you're seeing in a lot of communities like this where cops just this is why crime is spiking. This is why catalytic converters are getting ripped off cars for my friends um, is because cops aren't going to go to these calls anymore where they uh, where something could go bad. And all of a sudden they're national news and it's, oh, shit, I have to take my family and move to Canada now. And so that's a huge problem. And, and as you said, the, the shooting is it's they're really trying to push it. Um, CNN has right now Patrick Leo shooting witness. I knew it wasn't going to end well. NBC, protests continue in Michigan after deadly police shooting. ABC News, burying my son, parents of man killed by Grand Rapids officers speak out. You see what they're doing again here. And it, this is one of these things where they know they do it because it really does divide people. Uh, there aren't any facts. We saw something in the case of Micaiah Bryant, which was so clean cut and dry, where she was ready to plunge a knife into another girl. And we all know who Micaiah Bryant is because the media propped her up. None of us know the name of the girl whose life was saved by the police officer. So I was I'm just informing the room, uh, the, the situation that David's talking about. David, go keep talking about it. I just wanted to get people in the know. 
Yeah, and the consequence with all that, I've noticed that Black Lives Matter, the organization, hasn't been around the area. And that's probably because they're uh, a, a, around a, surrounded by a lot of scandal and everything like that. And I just don't see, like, the, the main actors that – it's not like 2020 where national media is flooding the zone with this. But businesses are shut down, particularly uh, some of the black restaurants. and some of the, I, I went to try to get a haircut today. They closed it. They closed down the shop and they boarded up like it's a hurricane. And just like that fear. And it didn't seem like there's going to be that much rage this time around like it was in 2020. Uh, probably because there's no lockdown and people aren't, aren't, aren't like just holding in their, their anger with everything. But businesses are closed down, are closed down except for the wealthy neighborhood part of downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, which is predominantly white, but a lot of these. Well, that's where that's where. But if that's where the Black Lives Matter people are, they're with the mansions now and surrounded by the rich white people. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's funny. Like almost every business down in that area, that white part of town has the trans flag, the Ukraine flag, and the Black Lives Matter flag. No American flags. So. <laughs> but, David, are you refusing to wear the ribbon? Crazy. Are you refusing to wear the ribbon, David? Uh, I, I can't wear the ribbon. Okay. Maybe the Cuban flag. I didn't see any any uh, any uh, support for the Cuban people here when uh, last July. <laughs> Great, uh, David. Thank you. I'm yeah. going gonna to go ahead and uh, move on to these guys, but I appreciate your thoughts and uh, I appreciate hearing your story. And just um, again, thanks thanks for uh, calling in. Thank you. Go Panthers. Ouch. Okay, I'll let you get rid of that one. Jim, uh, Jim, you're up. Um, wh- what were some of your takeaways from Muskphobia this week, and what what was the one big thing you would change on Twitter if you could for Elon Musk? Uh, takeaways, you know, I thought it was great to see. It was, uh, you know, it exposed them probably more so than other recent actions. So I think that was great. Uh, for new features, I enjoy voting capabilities on the platform, like uh, Ruthless's Hackmaster Attorney. And I think Elon ought to have a uh, daily parole vote for those people that are in Twitter jail, like Libs of Titcock and Babylon B. I know some people would say, well, we, we ought to liberate them all, you know, and uh, have them abide by the new open rules, uh, but I'd like to see the lib see a new one come back every day. So a permanently suspended account where people vote on, okay, who, who would be like, okay, so you guys only get one. You get Alex Jones or Donald Trump. Which one would you like to see come back? Yeah, or, or have like the top 20 people that had subscribers and maybe take back you know, two or three of them. You, you yeah. realize you really are turning Twitter into like Thunderdome now, Jim. I'm just, I'm just warning you. Like, it's, that's really going to be Gladiator Arena here, um, where it's really like, and that's what so, Elon Musk is such a shit poster. It's like one of those things he totally would do. Like today, we're having a poll. Who who do you want back, Donald Trump or Alex Jones? And and there you go. That Twitter is officially ruined for the day. I also think that this is an aspect that hasn't been covered enough. Elon Musk really does have the ability to change a conversation using Twitter. There was just, there was just this piece where Twitter employees are just kind of aghast that 
leadership from Twitter isn't using Twitter to tweet back at Elon Musk, who is tweeting at the king, you know, the Saudi Arabia kingdom going, huh, you know, how much, how much do you believe in free speech over there? Um, and I thought that that's funny that Twitter employees don't even use their own platform. And again, that that's, that should tell you enough about what they think about the product. And I've said this, that every time Twitter implements something new, I, I note that they make it harder to use their platform. Um, whether it's limiting replies or, you know, uh, things that they, you know, they editorialize on. I'm like, nobody hates their product more than the people who are sitting at Twitter. Um, I want to read a, I want to read a quick thread and David, you, you can just stay on. This was this morning and I found this interesting. This is, um, from Yishan, who is the former, he's the funder and CEO of Terraformation. He used to be the ex Reddit CEO. And we've had a few of them pop up. Ellen Powell um, is one. But he has, he has some interesting thoughts, some I disagree with. And like I said, Jim, you can just stay on the line and then you can reply or anyone else can reply. He says, this is a pretty long thread, so bear with me. I've now been asked multiple times for my take on Elon's offer for Twitter. So fine, this is what I think about it. I will assume the takeover succeeds and he takes Twitter private. I have little knowledge inside into how actual takeover battles work or play out. I think if Elon takes over Twitter, he's in for a world of pain. He has no idea. There is this old culture of the internet, roughly Web 1.0, and early 2.0 pre-Facebook that has had very strong free speech culture. This free speech idea arose out of the culture of the late 90s America, where the main people who were interested in censorship were religious conservatives. That's not necessarily true, but he says in practical terms, this meant that what they would try to ban porn or other imagined world degeneracy on the internet. You're going to have to go back farther than that, sir, to Tipper Gore. Thank you. He goes, remember when it seemed very important to certain people that we ban things like this? And he shows an image of the old Mortal Kombat uh, because Mortal Kombat was, had blood in it and was going to corrupt all of us. Mo- many of us older tech leaders today, Elon Musk, uh, Mark Andreessen, Gen Xers, basically grew up with that on the Internet. To them, the Internet represented freedom, a new frontier, a flowering of human spirit, and a great optimism that technology could birth a new golden age of mankind. Some of this I've touched on. I believe that too, but I also ran Reddit. Reddit was born in the last years of the old internet when free speech meant freedom from religious conservatives trying to take down porn and sometimes first-person shooters. Uh, And so we tried to preserve that ideal that is not what free speech is about today. It's not that the principle is no longer valid. It's that the practical issues around upholding that principle are different because the world has changed. The internet is not a frontier where people can go to be free. It's where the entire world is now, and every culture war is being fought on it. It's the main battlefield for our culture wars. It means that upholding free speech means you're not just standing up against some religious conservatives lobbying to remove Judy Bloom books from the library. It means you're standing up against everyone because every side is trying to take away the speech rights of the other side. It's also where Russia is fighting a real war against us using free speech, literally, but that's another story, too. I wish you'd elaborate on that one. (laughs) We have to limit speech because Russia might use it. Uh, He says, free speech might be noble, but here's here's what it's like these days. All my left-wing woke friends are convinced that the social media platforms uphold the white supremacist, misogynistic patriarchy, and they have plenty of screenshots and evidence of times when the platform has made enforcement decisions unfairly against innocuous things that they've said and let far more egregious sexist racist violations by the other side passed. Woke friends, it's true, right? You have lots of examples. All my alt-center-right libertarian friends are convinced the social media platforms uphold the woke BLM Marxist LBGTQ agenda 
And they also have plenty of screenshots and evidence of times when the platforms have made enforcement decisions unfair against them for innocuous things that they've said, merely questioning in good faith the woke orthodoxy and let far more egregious violations by the other side stand. Right-wingers and libertarians, it's true, right? You can remember plenty of examples. Neither side, is, neither side is lying. Mostly it's really because enforcement is hard and there are lots of errors. There's a separate emerging problem where AI models make inhumane dystopian judgments that can't be appealed, but that's a separate issue. Both sides think the platform is institutionally biased against them. All the top executives and board members are men. Silicon Valley employees are overwhelmingly left and, and uh, woke, left-wing. Those are in quotes. I want you to pause for a minute and think about your political alignment and whether you're on the left or the right of the issue, because you probably think one of those things. And the old Gen X tech titans are right there with you, vaguely left-wing, but also center-right, seeing their version of censorship and drawing all the wrong conclusions about it, what hap what's happening with the management of social platforms. Elon Musk is one of those, because he doesn't understand what has happened to internet culture since 2004, or as I just call it, culture. I know he doesn't because he was pretty late to Bitcoin, and if he plugged into the internet culture, he would have been on Bitcoin way earlier. Elon's been too busy doing actual real things like making electric cars and reusable rockets and fucking actresses and singers, so he has a pretty fucking good excuse not for paying attention, but this is also something that's hard to understand unless you run a social network. And now I'm going to reveal the institutional bias of every large social network. Are you ready? Here it is. They would like you to stop squabbling over stupid shit and causing drama so they can spend their time writing more features and not have to adjudicate your stupid little fights. That's all. They don't care about politics. They really don't. Donald Trump was not deplatformed for being right wing. I talk about this and he talks, it goes into another thread. Um, I would disagree with a couple of major points there that. Donald Trump was obviously deplatformed over his stances on January 6th and using Twitter as uh, a tool to kind of organize a mob that ends up going and storming the Capitol. Um, that's when D Trump was suspended. He was suspended over January 6th. Well, the problem with this is I, I generally don't have a problem if Twitter doesn't want Donald Trump on the platform. It's like, nope, you're gone. But as we've seen, these rules, again, are not applied equally. I do have a problem with deplatforming Donald Trump while allowing Chinese state accounts on the platform or Iranian mullahs on the platform or the Kremlin on the platform. And that is a tacit way of saying all of those people are acceptable. And when the, when the Chinese state accounts call for, you know, or the Iranian mullahs call for the genocide of Israel or Louis Farrakhan, for instance, uh, it does look political. It absolutely looks political. And I said, it's easy to kick Donald Trump off the platform. It's harder to kick Chinese state accounts off the platform, much like it's easy for Disney to just erase gay characters out of Chinese uh, marketing and stuff like that, because they know the bottom line is money. Um, you can point, you can very much point to data that shows uh, the political right and the cultural right on Twitter is targeted way more often for bans suspensions than they are on the political left. And they would argue, well, that's because you're racists and you're misogynists and you're Hitler and, and you're all of this. Well, we can cite Antifa accounts that regularly promote violence against journalists like Andy No and, and other things. So I would argue that he's wrong. I, I do take a little bit of a point where he says they just want you to stop fighting. And just, you know, use Twitter for jokes and, and stuff like that. Well, Twitter, the endorphin rush comes from fighting on Twitter. That's what people want. Um, you know, there's a, there's 
an, an amount of say doom scrolling that happens on Twitter when it's not like a live thing that happens. And that's really what Twitter's good for. Twitter's great for things that are happening live. Um, a good instance when I was when I was living in Williamsburg in Brooklyn and I was trying to get to New I was trying to get to the Jets Stadium in New Jersey for a concert. And I'm we're stuck in fucking traffic for 40 minutes just sitting in a goddamn Uber on like the on Chelsea trying to get across Manhattan. Um, I don't know what's the problem. So what do I do? I can pull up Twitter and I can look, you know, Chelsea, what happened? And what do I find out? There's a building fire that's up four blocks. That's to me what the ultimate value of Twitter is. It's it's live happenings. Um, that's where cable news journalists, they absolutely cannot compete. But for this guy to say that Twitter employees don't have an agenda, well, that's wrong, first of all, in Twitter. Second, we all saw what happened with Brendan Eich at Firefox. And for those of you who don't remember this, this to me is one of the very first instances that led to where we are now, which is Brendan Eich, who was one of the creators of Firefox. He literally invented JavaScript. He's one of the fathers of JavaScript. He knows more about this shit than any, just about anyone else in Silicon Valley. He gets called in to run Firefox. Uh, it turns out he made a political donation to either a candidate or a PAC, um, which they claim restricted LGBTQ rights. Mozilla Firefox employees threatened to walk out en masse if they didn't get rid of him. And instead of Firefox saying, then fucking leave. Okay, because we're hiring him for his knowledge on Firefox, not his political donations. What happened? The board all agreed that Brendan Eich had to leave. And they, they literally, he, he, was, he was lynched and fired before he ever got a chance to get in the door. And so for him to sit here and say that these people don't have an ideological bent, uh, we, have plenty of, uh, we have plenty of evidence to suggest otherwise. So, Jim, go ahead and wrap up with thoughts. I didn't, I didn't want to talk about you, but you, you, you went on to something that led to this thread, so I wanted to at least read it. No, I, I agree with your assessment that it does seem to be one-sided. Um, I'm just looking, you know, as they continue to take away uh, some of the things we get daily laughs at, like Babylon B, you know, where do we go to uh, to pick those up? You know, I both libs of TikTok and Babylon B are on Gitter. You know, are are you considering uh, Gitter at all? No, I don't. Again, I, I, for some of these platforms that come along that are, you know, they're run by political ops. So like Trump's people run Getter or True Social um, or Parler even. I don't use those apps. At the most, I will go park an account just so someone doesn't take it or whatever. Um, and also, if I ever want to go over and read what's happening over there, which I never do. Um, and largely it's because I'm generally not interested in, in the echo chambers. That's not what I'm in this for. And you're, you're not going to get corporate journalists or, or public figures who are going to go to those places because that's, again, that's not their home field. Uh, I think you have to meet these people where they are. And that's where it is. That's where, where all of them are exist on Twitter and some other apps. And so, no, I, I don't I don't have interest in that. I still the Babylon B1 is fascinating to me. I to this day, I don't understand the hard on that. Twitter and companies and the political left have for Babylon B. I don't understand it. Maybe it's because it's funny sometimes. And that again, that that's their, you know, we have the onion and the, you can't do this, but um, I, I never, I never understand um, the case that they have against the Babylon B. And that, that goes so much as like even just labeling them misinformation or whatever, like everybody knows that they're a satirical site. And if you don't, that's not their problem. That's your problem. 
All right. Great, Thank Jim. You. It's good to hear from you. Uh, I'm going to try to get through these, um, these, these last eight. I have eight right now. And so we'll probably go until like 1230 and try to get through these people. Um, so Andrew, uh, welcome to the episode. Uh, any thoughts on what you saw with Elon Musk buying Twitter and what would be one of the big changes you would give Elon Musk to implement a change on Twitter? Okay, we're going to try to run through these. Brian, same question. Uh, what are your thoughts on Elon Musk buying Twitter, the reactions that you saw, and what would be the one big change you would you would do to implement to make Twitter better? Hey, what's up, Stephen? Um, I've got a cranky baby sitting here next to me, so apologies if some of those noises come through. Um, but <laughs> I think my favorite part of the whole reaction to Elon Musk, Twitter, et cetera, was just the shit posting about how a bunch of libs are terrified of an African-American owning Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah that that's a fun me. one. <laughs> and you know, as far as what I would, what I would change on, I mean, honestly, I'm a very casual user. I'm here for scrolling. I'm here for just kind of taking in the news, the politics, sports, memes, dunks, et cetera. I don't really post a whole lot. So my changes to Twitter are kind of based around that. Um, very minor one. I just get rid of all those freaking ads. I mean, like one in every four posts, it feels like an ad. Give me an option to pay an extra buck or two a month, and I'll, I'll take that. Um, second of all, I would just get rid of the option to eliminate replies. Don't let, don't turn off replies. Um, I know you, you've talked a bunch on your podcast about how you know, that can affect journalists and you know, what that does to the media landscape. Um, kind of back to my reason for using Twitter. I'm just here to see Thunderdome and Stelter's replies. So if they can re remove that feature, that would be the first thing I would have must do. Yeah, the limit replies thing is interesting to me. That And again, that was a rule that was, you know, lobbied for by a lot of people in media and journalists, which is, you know, only only my followers can reply to that. I don't I don't know about getting rid of it. I just would have never have implemented it. Um, again, you, if you don't like the accounts that are replying to you, you can mute and block those accounts. And the reason why I'm pretty absolutely sure that this was lobbied for by journalists is because they're the ones who are using it the most. And it's in particular CNN journalists. Um, this is a way of telling you, you know, folks, your takes, your takes are bad and you're bad for the industry and you're bad for journalism. And limiting replies is our way of saying, no, I'm not. You're the problem. Um, and I don't know if that's a company-wide policy or whatever that they've said, you know, just limit replies, like, you know, people who you, who you follow. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, journalists are so dependent on Twitter for their own personal brands, as we've seen Taylor Lorenz talk about and a few other things, that by limiting replies, you're literally limiting your audience and you're limiting your brand and you're limiting your job, which means then why are you even on the social media platform to begin with? I think it's very similar to what um, Rika Brzezinski was saying the other day on her show with Morning Joe. I mean, it was, I forget what the actual clip, the whole narrative in there was, but it was something to the extent of, you know, this is terrible. We can't have the peons running around creating their own talks on Twitter and creating their narrative. You know, they have to be told what's, what to think and what the narrative is. That's our job. Um, 
it, I was just, I was very surprised to see it said that explicitly. And I honestly don't think she meant to put it out there quite that yeah, way. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so I think it's very telling. Yeah. And in the interest of accuracy, this clip was floating around for the last three days. And this had nothing to do with Elon Musk. I think she was talking about Trump a few years ago. And the reason you know that is because Mal- Mark Halpern is sitting at that table. Um, and so this clip went around. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people were spreading it, thinking it's Elon Musk. She's talking about like this was an episode of just last week or not. But this was like, I think, a clip from 2017. Um, and I think it was in reference to, you know, Sean Spicer or the White House press secretary or, or, or whatever. Um, but I'm also not one of these people where I'm going to sit here and, you know, I'll correct it if I see somebody who I know who is spreading it. I'll say, hey, that's not really a recent clip. Let's not talk about Elon Musk. But I'm also not the misinformation police. And for those of you who follow me and you listen to my podcast, um, the misinformation shit started when you like a perfect example is like I talked about involving Barack Obama, you know, at the Atlantic Conference of Disinformation. The fact that you people embrace this guy on this topic means you guys get whatever you deserve. You know, these people had their chance, in my opinion, and this is what's led to a lot of what you see on the Internet, the Wild West of the Internet, which is Katie Turr. We just can't have you using it like you want. This is for us. No, you guys had your chance and you blew it. You decided that, you know, we're going to stop holding Democratic politicians accountable. Uh, We're going to stop pursuing truth no matter where it leads. And by the way, we're also going to go out of our way to suppress an accurate story of the New York Post and the Hunter Biden laptop. I would argue the suppression of that story is worse than the story itself. But that's what you guys decided to do. You guys decided to act that way. You have Dan Rather on fucking Twitter going, can we just go back to newspapers and TV? Which completely proves my point of all people in the disinformation fight. uh, This is another guy who I just, I'm flabbergasted that they're trying to rehab this guy. And they don't see a hint of irony in any of it. Brian Williams got suspended for spreading stolen valor and misinformation. And then he got his show back. He got, you know, he didn't get the, and, you know, he didn't get the NBC Nightly News, but he got a show on MSNBC. And when he retired, he, he retired the thunder, thunderous applause from all the colleagues like Brian Stelter. And then you fucking guys wonder why we don't listen to you. And that's why I'm not interested in stopping the spread of misinformation. It's like you guys had your chance and until you guys change your industry to the point where we can believe you again, then misinformation, whatever you want to call it, is going to continue to spread. And then when we see you picking fights with the Babylon Bee, we realize that this isn't just about misinformation. This is about controlling a narrative and controlling power. And that's, again, why Elon Musk freaks them out so much. Joseph, you're up. What would What's the one thing on Twitter you would uh, tell Elon Musk to fix or get rid of or add? Uh, first and foremost, an edit button, because I'm a typo machine, and I like to type out a tweet in the moment just to get a thought out there. And I hate the, I know I could, like, delete the tweet and just sort of, like, retype it, but, like, afterwards, like, it just takes, like, so much damn effort. And the fact that once I get a good thought going and I lose it, it just, like, loses the pizzazz. And um, another one I did like is that what Joe mentioned earlier was to – Get rid of the editorialization of like the trending replies. Yeah, I'm st- I'm so anti edit button. You can just delete it and repost it. That's not hard. Who cares? Oh, fair enough. 
No, like I, I really, I really, and I'm one of the more prominent people that is just so anti edit button because it's just going to, it's going to cause some, I mean, for some, like for and no offense, but for like normal users, I can see it. So I just want to want to put this up or whatever, but it's going to get abused so much by, you know, blue checks who are going to, I didn't mean to say that, or I sh- I'm, I'm saying this differently and I'm going to edit it. And this is what I meant. And, and it's just, it's kind of like, no, if it's a bad tweet, we're going to let you know about it. Um, I'm just, I'm so rabid anti-edit button. Just, just again, delete it and repost it. There's no tweet or typos that are so bad that you can't just like redo it. Um, but that, again, I'm, I, I, I realize I'm kind of in the wilderness on this and I'm shocked that I'm like, I'm one of the, I'm like, I am in the minority of the, you know, the blue check users who I'm just like, who cares if it's a typo? Like I get it. You're a writer and, and stuff like that. But I, I make typos all the time. That's why I have fucking editors. And so it's like on Twitter, who cares? Like either leave a typo, make a joke about it, or just delete the tweet and put it back up. So that's just that's just me. Um, oh, Joseph, you're, you're, Joseph, you're definitely in the majority of people who want an, on an edit button. I see nothing but hurt and pain. <laughs> no, you're 100%, and I understand that. But I think for me, it's just more or less like I just miss a lot of words just because I'm trying to get my thoughts out there, and I I don't know if it's just, a, I don't know if like this, the way that Ben Shapiro talks is because of anxiety, because I think that's kind of how I am too. Is that like, I'm so in the moment or I'm so like just excitable that I just need to get my thoughts out and I need, I ended up tripping myself and in my writing, I tend to like miss words or like kind of like, or dispel certain stuff. So I'm like, oh shit, now I gotta like to redo that because I forgot to put the thumb and I gotta take this one out of context. But I guess I'll add on with the other one with the, uh, the editorial, the editorializing the news, like just describing like so and so said this. Like I'll always say that, especially like whenever Ben Shapiro's um, trends for something stupid, whether it's something that he said that's either bad or taken out of context, or Media Matters puts out a clip of him saying something, either taken out of context or just wildly out there. And what's funny is that um, Cody Johnson, who I despise with all my soul. It put uh, put actually said something funny was that like there's a lot of trading words going on because Twitter had sort of added a scripture talking about two trends. One was like Tim Bull versus Hassan Piker trading words, and then Ben Shapiro again for with the debate he had with the uh, trans activists saying they he's like Ben Shapiro trades words with the trans activists. Yeah, it it just doesn't one it doesn't add value I think to what Twitter is, and two. Uh, again, the, the editorializing shifts usually in one direction. Um, and, and the way they, the, the way they call certain tweets is the, how they shape their own narrative off of it. When tweets themselves to me should stand for what they are. So if you're trending the name Ben Shapiro, well, again, we, we know that that's not always organic as we've seen. And then we also know that they, you know, based on their own words, that they'll suppress, you know, organic trends to keep something either out of the news or because, you know, we, we don't like the race of the shooter or whatever. Um, or we think people are going to die because of these words. Um, and, and so. And that's my thing, too. This is that, like, some of the things you see trend, or whether it's recommended to you or it's on the natural, like, trend. A trending page where it's like rank. Most of the time, you see the trends. Like it's trending for the dumbest reasons ever. And it's like it kind of makes you question like, why is this trending in the first place? Like, there is more important stuff going on more than like the actual content talking about it. 
Yeah, or one of the other things is something will trend and you have no idea why. You have to shuffle through a thousand tweets of, you know, why is this happening? But that might be a reason why they editorialize that. But, um, you know. That's why, that, that, that is what happened to me the other day, just looking up, seeing, like, like the name Ben Shapiro. I'm just like, oh, what the fuck? What the fuck's happening now? And I have to, and that's the thing that I hate. I have to scroll through, like, a whole bunch of different tweets to see, like, what's going on. And, Hopefully, I eventually then get my answer, but then most of the time, I don't until I see something in the news about it later on. Right. Uh, you have anything else, anything to wrap up or add? Uh, what do you think about Jack White's new album? I'm not sure if you're like a big like Jack White fan or anything, but he just released a new album. I'm just kind of worried, wondering what your thoughts are. Uh, I, I have it in my pile. Uh, I, have not, I have not listened to it yet. Um, okay. But um, I'm I'm okay on Jack White. I I, lo- I loved him more in the Raconteurs than I did any of his White Stripe stuff. I wish that he would have done more stuff with the Raconteurs. Um, but and I haven't. I I just learned this album came out a couple of days ago, so I'm like, oh okay, I'll go. I'll throw that on the pile. Um, but I haven't listened to it yet, so I don't know. Is it is it more Raconteurs or is it more White Stripes, or is it kind of both? Uh, it's really it's really neither. It's, it's- definitely kind of continues the trend of the last album where he's going into the more electronic territory but i think this one's a little more like well put together and there's actually some songs that like actually stick together more and the songs actually take you in directions that kind of surprise you it's not like so artsy farty that it's bad it's actually artsy farty in a good way like uh, the title track fear of dawn it just reminds me of like that classic like has a kind of blues like riff driving, but instead it's like more like fuzz oriented as it's like kind of dressed electronics, but it's done in a good way. Um, I'm the opposite. I love like uh, Jack White's like right, white stripe stuff, but I also kind of love like some of his solo stuff that he's recently done because I'm always a sucker for like you know heavy blues driven like rock and roll. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll have to give it a listen and I'll and I'll uh, I'll let you know what I think about it. All right. So. Joseph, thanks. It's good to hear from you as always. Uh, I'm going to go here. Probably, I'm going to I'm going to cut us off at Jeffrey, who I see is back there, and uh, we'll cut there so we can all get on with our weekends. Jason, uh, tell me what is the one big change or thing you would give Elon Musk to make Twitter a more tolerable, happier place? Well, the one thing about the edit function, the one problem that would really happen isn't just blue checks stealth editing their own fuck-ups it will be like twitter trolls typing out something non-controversial but popular getting a hundred likes <laughs> and then like editing it to be like Hal hitler or something like that yeah i i, I made that reference a while back which is um I love America is the greatest country on earth, whatever like that. You get 10,000 retweets and then I change it to Bush did nine eleven. Yeah, that would be another way. <laughs> um, I made a comment on the comment thread the other day that like, as much as I want to like Elon Musk, he's probably the antichrist that like, this is all just going to be a run up to, you know, it's all fun and games until we have to be branded on the forehead with the Tesla logo yeah. groceries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't now. like, he, he plays footsie with China. There's things about him. Yeah. I don't like, um, I'm not, you know, a, a promotional Elon Musk fanboy. Um, I am a fan of disruptors 
and he's one that you know just happened to come along at the right time you, you know Steve Jobs isn't around anymore and um you do have kind of these guys that every every few years you know they they roll around and they they upset the system a bit and um but i think you're right like this is just basically a plan to just jack us into the matrix for real or something and uh like you said we're all going to we're all going to get microchipped into our arm uh if you want to use twitter or whatever like that and like i said i'm not I'm not, you know, dancing around, but Batia Ungeren had some good stuff to say and Chuck Ross has some good stuff to say about, you know, his ties to China and how much he wants to do business over there. And that stuff makes me all queasy. Um, but as I said, I, I don't know if he's going to be good for Twitter. I don't know if he's good for any of it, but I don't think he can make things worse is, I think, the my takeaway. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, one other thing I want to say because I think you may have mentioned it on the podcast last night, and I've seen it a couple times. Like, the whole poison pill trying to stop the takeover, there's no real... the fiduci- They don't have a fiduciary duty to just take any offer on the table, even if there's no higher counteroffer. I mean, the, the board, within their judgment, can say, like, yeah, we think the company's worth more than this and we're not selling out. Um, I read something by Marty Littman, who's the guy who invented the poison pill. He basically, it was about a, it was a while ago, air gas, which is like a medical gas supply company. They had a competitor try to buy their shares for like, I don't even remember how much it was. The company put out a poison pill um, stopped the takeover, and then like five years later, everybody got twice what the offer was, plus you know nine dollars in dividends over those five years. So the fact that there isn't a better offer on the table doesn't make it automatically a problem for the board to reject the offer. Yeah, I mean, he's also now looking at bringing in partners, um, and God knows who that could be. Get, hold on to your butts if that's Peter Thiel. Or, or somebody, or, or Mark Andreessen, or, or whatever. Um, it's it, it, the the nature of it's interesting to me, and is and I mainly watch media. It's something that I'm not an expert in. Um, but how you know when he basically became the majority shareholder, our media panicked, and then when it was he's a board member, they panicked, and then when he walked away from the board, they were all like, "Oh, that's good," and then people went, "No, that means he can probably buy the company now," and then they all panicked, and then when he actually said he made a bid, then they really panicked. Um, so, like I said, I look at this kind of stuff, and I'm like, "Well, all the right people are panicking over this kind of stuff." Um, it's going to be real interesting to me what happens if this goes through and what happens with the Biden DOJ and the, and the FEC and the SEC who have, have like I said, there's sources inside who said that they will step in to block this. Um, that, that if you want to see Elon Musk as a, as a free speech martyr now, wait till that happens. And, and you know, there's something like an FCC investigation launched against him, which there already is. Um, but that's going to be another interesting part of this to watch. Uh, is if they actually carry through on that. And it's that's something where, again, people like me and a lot of other people are going to stand up and go, this looks corrupt and shady as hell. And so, and that's another thing where you talk about freedom. It's like, can you, you know, it, it, this is again about control and the political left and especially this administration look at Twitter as their main form of messaging. Uh, the Biden administration is governed by Twitter. Um, 
And for them to lose that, or at least to have that run by someone who they don't believe is an ally, um, for, for that to even be floated that, you know, we might put the Justice Department after to, to stop this is something that should be outrageous to everybody. Uh, Jason, go ahead and, and give me some final thoughts to wrap up. Um, this can wait for an AMA, but I've always been interested. You've mentioned not being paid for TV hits before. I didn't know if that had changed or do you need like a contributor contract or like what the industry standard is for like being paid for experience or hits and something other than exposure? Um, Generally, so I do Kennedy pretty regularly, but I'm not like under contract by Fox as a contributor. So that can happen. You can have people sign contributor contracts with a network to where you only appear on their network. Um, I'm not under any obligation to only appear on Kennedy on Fox. I just think she really likes me. That's it. And um, it's a show where um, it's good issues. It's kind of goofy. It's, you know, it's a mature show where you get liberal points of views, you get conservatives, you get kind of classical liberal, conservatarian point of views, libertarian point of views. Um, But as far as like, you know, a a 10 minute panel hit or something like that, no, I'm not paid to do those. Those are done at my choice. Um, It's great promotion uh, to obviously to have, you know, a a Fox business host or someone say, Oh, here's your podcast or here's your, you know, your book or whatever. Um, But I've also turned down shows from networks. I've, I've turned down shows on Fox's main network um, on topics that I'm not comfortable with and whatever. And that is possible. You can do that. Um, it is possible to have a little bit of a conscience and a soul in this industry. Um, but no, uh, there are people who are paid contributors who are, you know, yes, they, they are, are under contract to appear on a certain number of nights or with a certain hosts or whatever. Um, it it kind of depends. It's, all, it's kind of all up to them. So, but no, when they ask, hey, would you like to come on and talk about this? You can say, you can say yes, you can say no. I'm under no obligation, which is fun and a lot of free to say. Uh, we're going to go through, um, I guess we have four. So we have Donna, Jeremy, Jeffrey, and then Alex. I'll take Alex, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, we're going to be pushing two hours, and uh, we all have a weekend to get to. So, Donna, what is the one big change you would put towards Elon Musk to to fixing or making Twitter bender? I would – hello, Stephen. I would insist that he hire more intelligent employees with sense of, with a sense of humor um, you know, when Jonathan Swift wrote A Modest Proposal, the English ultimately took him seriously and thought that the Irish eating babies was a good idea. And then once they realized that he was clowning on them, then they wanted to string him up. Then the Irish made him the dean of St. Patrick. Um, so I would suggest that Elon Musk hire deep thinkers like Jonathan Swift and Alexander Pope these people who can wield words satirically and uh, that the employees can get the joke. What happened to the Babylon Bee is a travesty. I mean, all it points out is that these people have no sense of humor whatsoever. They're not intelligent enough to get satire. And that's where I would start. If I was Elon Musk, I would get rid of the whole bunch and hire people with intelligence i don't think that they're smart enough to get it either that or they're just maybe they're like uh you know the morning joe the other i haven't heard you speak on this yet maybe you did maybe i missed it 
But the other morning, uh, Micah said what, the, you know, the mask slipped or whatever, how they say. Um, it was said that if Elon Musk buys Twitter, he can control what people think. And that is our job. So, yeah, so I, I, I corrected that clip earlier. That wasn't that wasn't about Elon Musk. That was a clip from 2017 because uh, Mark Halpern is sitting on that panel. Mark Halpern got oh. himself into some Me Too trouble. Um, so I don't know the exact nature, but that clip didn't really have anything to do with Elon Musk. That doesn't necessarily void the fact that that's what they think. Katie Turr said that. Katie Turr was on MSNBC going, you know, we can't just let people run wild. There's consequences and people are going to get killed. And I don't I think that they get the I think that they get the joke of the Babylon Bee. Remember Babylon Bee was suspended for saying uh, we, we named Rachel Levine man of the year. Rachel Levine is an undersecretary of HHS. She's an admiral uh, is a trans woman. And she was and Rachel Levine pardons. I struggle around pronouns. Rachel Levine was named woman of the year, I think, by USA Today or, or some publication. And. Uh, I, I'm one of these people where I, I don't think this is an easy issue. Uh, I believe trans individuals have human rights. They have human needs. They're people. Um, uh, I don't like some of the attacks on them from the political right who that, de- that does dehumanize them. But to, again, name this person woman of the year should be yeah. insulting to women. I, I think it's funny because, like I said, it's, it's the feminized left who's going to have to deal with this. We're out of the conversation. We don't control media. We don't control culture, whatever. So eventually, it's going to have to be the feminist left that stands up and goes, yeah, what's happening with Leah Thomas here is not okay. Uh, the fact that you that Leah Thomas is here shattering records of biological women, whatever, and the feminist left is going to stand by and say, well, no, Leah Thomas is a woman, so we have to do this. South Park nailed this so absolutely perfect. So Babylon B is suspended. For basically just saying, you know, whatever, who, I think Babylon B names Rachel Levine Man of the Year. So they're suspended. So I think they get the joke, but they absolutely genuinely believe, again, that a joke from the Babylon B is going to get, you know, trans people murdered or killed because it happened on Twitter. Because that's what's happening. And that's that's the excuse they always use, which is that this is going to get people killed. We saw it with Pete Buttigieg in Florida. This The Don't Say Gay Bill is going to get people killed. And... They don't understand that when they levy those kinds of accusations that there's a section now of the political right that is Internet savvy. They're savvy with culture speak, and they're going to say, "Okay, well, you're a groomer then. How dare you? No, that's what you are. And so um, that's why the Babylon Bee is suspended. I think they get the joke. I think they they, understand the joke. They They just they they understand the joke. They understand the joke, but they're just they disagree with it. And that's the problem with what Twitter's current model is. It's not we're banning you for hate speech. We're banning you because we disagree with you, and that's we what needs to be fixed. Yeah, we don't like we don't like your brand of humor. Um, you know, there was I don't remember how long ago it was. It was quite some time ago, actually. You had posted um, a Lady Gaga video during the Biden campaign where she was dressed up like a redneck, leaning on a truck. You remember that? Uh, I, I remember the incident. I don't know if I tweeted about it, but I do remember the video where she's like, well, I'm headed I, to the South to campaign for Biden or Ohio. And she's like leaning up against a monster truck and cracking a beer. And she's wearing camouflage. And I'm like, okay, th- this should play well. Yeah. She said, <clears throat> here, I have, I pulled up an article. 
Um, she said, and if you live in Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Florida, or Arizona, I encourage you to vote. And I had, I didn't even tweet her directly. I commented on your retweet of her tweet. And I said, oh, it's okay for you to mock rednecks. I got suspended for seven days for saying that. That's all I said. I called her a redneck. That's what she, she was mocking people who wear camouflage, right? It was just a joke, but I got a seven day suspension. You know? Yeah. And like I said, it's Twitter picks easy fights. Twitter's not going to suspend Lady Gaga. Twitter's not going to suspend. Not. Like we, you saw, you, you know, you saw Ice Cube post like famous anti-Semitic memes and he's not going to get suspended because that, you know, once that happens, now you're dealing with his talent agency, his publicist, you're dealing with him. You're answering phone calls from his followers, which are in the millions. And Twitter's like, no, nope, we're not going to even deal with this. So, again, that's why someone like that can post that kind of content and why it's easy to go out. A, a friend of mine who's been on Twitter for 10 years, John Ekdahl, just got suspended uh, for, you know, going after Chris Saliza with, with a rather accurate tweet calling him retarded. I think we can all agree that there is some level of retardation happening with Chris Eliza. And the the funniest thing is him getting suspended over that is Twitter acknowledging because he says, no, you're not supposed to pick on someone's mental capacity. Well, if you're suspending an account over that kind of tweet, you're at least tacitly admitting that Chris Eliza has some form of retardation. Um, (laughs) So, but that's, that's why Twitter's not going to, you know, that they're not going to ban, nor do I think they should, they should ban Lady Gaga over that. I think people should be able to free to make fun of her for that. And that's how she's going to somehow relate to, I guess, um, the, the southern states, which, you know, are just, as far as they know, uh, doing nothing but racism and aborting babies, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it showed it showed what she thinks of those states, you know. So, yeah, I agree. Let her do it. Because then it just pulls the, the veil off and you can see exactly what these people think of you in middle America or the south or whatever. I agree. I wholeheartedly believe that people should say whatever they want, as long as it's not a threat or going to incite violence, you know, incite a riot. That's it. Period. (laughs) You know, uh, like I said, jokes. I honestly do think that there is a huge amount of people that don't get the joke. And if they can't get the joke, then they're upset by the fact that they don't get the joke or they just don't like the joke. Because it hurts. It's too real. It's too true. And they don't want it. They don't want that truth. They want their truth. And then, of course, the media is a whole nother monster. They don't, they want, like you said, they want to talk at us. They don't want any repercussions whatsoever. They don't want any rebuttal, rebuke. (laughs) They just want to talk at us. So, if I could say to Elon Musk anything, I would say, please buy Twitter. It is a, I think it's a wonderful website. I love the way it works. I love the interaction. And I really wish that freedom of speech would be real, would be free flowing. And we can share thoughts and ideas and who knows where that would go. Uh, right now, it's, it's horrible. It's just, uh, and I think that Donald Trump should also be let back on. I know you're not a big fan of that. <laughs> There's but... nothing more than I think, and Matt Iglesias, I think, had a point on this. And he said, 
the truth of it, Democrats would love to have Donald Trump back on Twitter and no one wants to admit it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really care. I, th- I, you know, I like John Mulaney's tight take on Trump that every day on Twitter was like a horse in a hospital with Donald Trump. <laughs> um, I liked his tweets better when he wasn't president. Um, I'm still a traditionalist that way. My, my stance on this is he's a former president and if you're going to ban a former president, then you're, you're opening the, you're opening the door to say, and you haven't banned, like I said, Chinese state accounts or Iranian accounts threatening genocide against Israel, mm. then it, there's, there is a hypocrisy here and it's, and it's one that you cannot ignore. So if you want to kick Donald Trump off Twitter, that's great. But then I want to see the Chinese state accounts gone. I want to see actual autocrat authoritarian dictators gone from Twitter. Because Donald Trump is, like I said, as bad as he can be, he is not uh, the Iranian mullahs and he's not Chinese state accounts and he's not Vladimir Putin. And all of those accounts are somehow still allowed on Twitter because they haven't, I guess, violated their terms of service. It's so transparently, transparently political. And Twitter, again, caved to you know journalists and people like that. But I'm telling you, there's nothing more, especially heading into 2024 – that our media wants than Donald Trump back on Twitter. They can't, you know, I think it's Jim Treacher says this a lot where it's like, all you guys did for four fucking years was try to get rid of him. And now he's gone and you can't stop talking about him. Hmm. Like you guys can't, you do not know how to live without him. There's websites that they make their entire money on him. And it's like, you wanted him gone and now he's gone and yet you have people like, obviously, Bulwark and Lincoln Project who want nothing more than for him to come back. And then you have an entire media structure around CNN who can't shut up about him. So it's, there's so much inconsistency here that, again, it's, you know, it's breathtaking at times. Donna, I'm going to move on and, and, get, and try to get through these last three so we can all get on and enjoy our weekends. But it's good to Thank hear from you, you as always. Ha- Thank you, Stephen. Happy Easter. Thanks. Jeremy. As we wrapping up here, give me your bring us home, you last three guys. Give me your best, most out of the box idea on how Elon Musk can make Twitter better. Hey, Stephen. So I'm going to make it as quick. Um, basically, I think what the White House fears more than anything, and a lot of government officials fear, is not so much the whole like quote unquote free speech scare uh, that people will be able to say what they want. It's it's the idea that Elon can make things transparent. So what I would do if I was if I was Elon and I could afford to even buy Twitter or even think about affording to buy Twitter, all communications between government officials and Twitter employees in the past, presently, and in the future are all made public record by Twitter. That way, any sort of collusion, any of the stuff that Jen Psaki admitted to, you know, behind the White House press podium saying, you know, yes, we've talked to Twitter and we're, you know, talking to Facebook and we're fighting misinformation. Elon needs to make Twitter make all of that stuff public record so everybody can see exactly what's been said and uh, what the White House is doing to, you know, fight against who they feel is uh, the spreader of misinformation. I do. I do think it's interesting that you don't see a lot of freedom of information requests for Twitter from public officials for their DMs. This is this is something that has gone on ignored as an issue for a, a, a real long time. And you don't know, again, you know, the, the, the messages that, you know, candidates use or politicians use to skirt Freedom of Information Act laws. Um, that That's, again, 
that's something at that's something that's going to i think rear its head one way or another and it, it's one of these things that you know you bring up a good point which is you do have public officials who I'm sure use Twitter and they use Twitter's DM system, which is completely unprotected. Um, my DMs are pretty boring. I, I, I regularly delete DMs. I don't talk to as many people as you know some of you might think that I do or whatever. Um, but I regularly delete my DMs just because it's completely unprotected. It's completely unencrypted. Um, I, I think probably China has all of our DMs. They're just waiting for it. Uh, at some point, or Saudi Arabia has our DMs, somebody fucking has them. Um, so they're going to get out anyway. But I, you do bring up a good point about transparency. And if public officials are going to use the account, you know, use their Twitter account in a public capacity, um, we, we see White House accounts tweets are archived under information under, you know, public records use laws. And so you would think that that would count. You know, does Jen Psaki DM with reporters? Does she use her Twitter account? Um, and that that goes that goes both ways. Did Kaylee McEnany use her Twitter account? Did Sean Spicer use his Twitter account? Um, who is Donald Trump tweeting with as president or DMing with? I think that those are all important issues, especially for those who do believe Twitter is a public square. Yeah, and I mean, I obviously, um, if anybody knows who I am in here, I am a public official, so. Uh, Florida's records laws are very much transparent and they're actually a pain in my ass. Uh, but regardless, like if somebody DMs me and it's work related, I purposely push them towards my work email because I, I don't want my DMs to become public record because they're my DMs. So, I mean, if, if public officials are smart, they're not using their, you know, just their DMs for any sort of public business, but it's not just the DMs, it's, you know, emails between Twitter employees and, and public officials or, you know, between the White House, you know, Jen Psaki and Twitter employees. Um, it's, it's any work email or, or work related phones that's owned by the government and Twitter employees phones that are owned by Twitter. I mean, Elon could blow up all of this. It would all become his at some point, make it public record, put it up on a, on a forum or somewhere people can look at it and, and we'll see really where uh, where the communications are between these uh, these big tech industries and and you know the White House we have now. Yeah, it's that's 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 a huge topic of interest. And again, Elon's one of those guys where if you know he talks about transparent he talks about transparency and algorithms and things like that, which is I don't necessarily think leads to what you're talking about. But I, I agree that that that's. I think more transparency in how Twitter makes its decisions is absolutely something that needs to happen. You you should be telling us, you know, or at least posting as to why the Babylon Bee has been suspended. Um, well, trans folks are under the uh, th- trans people throughout the country are under attack and t- things like this can make them feel unsafe. And then, you know what? Then we can say on our platform, God, this is the biggest crock of shit I've ever seen in my life. The Babylon Bee is not going to get any trans people killed. OK. And let that stand. But again, that's the biggest problem is they'll just they'll nuke an account and they don't say why. And they're under no obligation to say why. But that's what sows distrust amongst especially people on the political right. So, uh, Jeremy, any any fun thoughts to wrap up? Nope, that's it. I'm just I think you launched just blow it all up and let's all see it. So, yeah, that's kind, of where, that, that, that's kind of where I'm at. So good to hear from you, Jeremy. Cheers. Talk to you later. We'll wrap this up with Jeffrey and Alex. Bring us home, guys. Give me your most out-of-the-box thing Elon Musk could do to make Twitter better. 
That can include just getting rid of it. So, Jeffrey, you're up. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, we're getting towards the end, so I'm a little punchy, so I'm going to move on without him. Alex, you're the last one. You, I'm going to give you 10 full minutes until one until uh, 3 p.m. here, whatever, Eastern. Uh, give us your most best out-of-the-box idea for Elon Musk. Think like Elon. What would you do to make Twitter a better experience for everyone? Well, I, I for starters, might be a little bit the wrong person to ask. I'm fortunately or unfortunately not on Twitter, so I can't offer a great. You would be, you would be, you would be absolutely surprised. Go ahead. (laughs) So maybe just blow it up. Um, So I, I kind of got like two or three questions that are call them like devil's advocate that I largely agree with, kind of all the points and sort of questions that, especially here recently, have kind of been brought up, but. You know, Elon's talked a lot about how he wants to add transparency, and I think you kind of, as evidence, we're, we're sort of backing that up. But I just have to ask the question, like, what is that going to do or prove? Like, from my perspective, I live in a very deep blue city, and, like, so if you open, you know, the hood to Twitter, yeah, you're going to find that they're a bunch of libs, and they hate red America. Cool. We already know that. I guess I, I I don't quite get what transparency is going to really like show. <laughs> well, let me give you an example. Um, 10 years ago, like say 2006, 2007, uh, we, guys like me, we could make a bread and butter saying, you know, Hey, we know the media is biased. We see it every day. It's happening in front of us. But then, you know, journalists can just say, well, no, we're not, you know, you're just, you, you're just wrong on this or whatever like this. And then we found out that a thing called journalist existed. And if you don't know what this is, you feel free to go look it up. This was a, it was a, it was a group in a message board started by Ezra Klein and a couple others from who at the time was at Wonkette. And then popular names like Dave Weigel from the Washington Post were in this. And they basically used this as their own personal sounding board to just basically shit all over the political right. And Dave Weigel ended up, you know, he, he you know, ended up, I think resigning from the Washington post over this over comments he made about Matt Drudge and some other people on the right. And it really fucking exposed. It's, it's just people like me were right about who these people are all the time. So to, to say that, you know, we don't know what it would expose. And I'm not saying Twitter DMS would expose that kind of stuff. Um, if there's, if these journals are smart, they're not even using Twitter DMS for that. They're using Slack, which is where all of this stuff is moved to. Um, but there'd be some validation there to say, look, we, we've been saying this whole time that, you know, these, these decisions are politically motivated inside of Twitter and they're being done on the whims of, you know, 20, 23, 24 year old employees, who, you know, who constantly use pronouns or, or whatever. They're on the political left. They're in the, they're in the woke theology or everything like that. So what, what would it prove? Well, I think it would go a long way to showing the bias through, through Silicon Valley and through these platforms and things like that. Not all of them, obviously, um, but Twitter itself has become very politicized as a company. And again, we saw that with the New York Post story. That's what I'd like to see. I would like to know who inside Twitter decided and Facebook, we know it was Andy Stone, but who decided to stop this story and why? And at the behest of whom? Because as I've maintained this entire time, I believe Twitter stopped the New York Post story on Hunter Biden prior to the election. From You couldn't even link to it. Twitter was banning journalists. I think it was Jake Sherman who's at Punchbowl News now, was banned. His account was locked for trying to share the story. 
and and journalists just let that happen. Like none of them spoke up for Jake Sherman and went, no, you should let him spread the story. And that's why I'm convinced it was journalists, guys in the vein of Brian Stelter and Oliver Darcy, who got in the horn to Twitter and said, you need to stop this story. You need to stop it. This is Russia disinformation. It came from Rudy Giuliani, whatever. And Twitter, again, panicked and went, oh, shit, you're, you're probably right. We have to do that. And so there's things there, not so much the overall transparency, but there's situations. I'd like to know what happened on that. I'd like to know who was responsible for stopping that story. And I'd like to know where their connections lie politically. Yep. Twitter's Twitter spokesperson at the time, Nick Pacello, was a former comms person for Kamala Harris in San Francisco. And so Andy Stone from Facebook, who was the one who tweeted that Facebook is going to stop distributing the story, was a former comms person for Bar- Barbara Boxer. These things matter. The political associations matter because they clearly carry that over with them uh, to, when they you know join the company or leave the company. So I, that's just my personal opinion. I get what you're saying in the sense of, you know, it's not going to, you know, it's, it's going to cause anarchy and it's going to cause us to, you know, start writing the streets. But I'm always one of these people where I'm like, I think transparency is good. And you would learn a lot about how this company has operated the last few years. No, I, and I, I, as like I mentioned, I 100% agree with you. I guess I just a little bit and I admit, I hope I'm wrong in this sense. But I think if you even got to a point, you had a sort of smoking gun call it related to the Hunter Biden uh, New York Post story. You would just get this. You would get a media blackout on that, like getting that story out. You know what I mean? And so, in that sense, I'm kind of like, cool. You know, you could show the algorithm, but that requires other outlets and kind of other media's reporting on that. Which I think you would just get the same New York Post blackout treatment. Um, my second kind of question, sort of a similar here, is let's say hypothetically the Elon deal actually finds a way of getting through, and you know he takes it on where do you kind of see or like i think there's a non-zero percent chance that like a year or two from now you know and elon kind of lives up to his word of like hey this is a true free speech you know platform and that would assume trump is back and maybe even some of the crazy people like alex jones wouldn't just sort of the like normal cast of characters the excel recorder the regime pick your, you know, favorite term, just say, okay, we're leaving Twitter. And then Twitter just starts to turn into like another one of these gab parlors, right wing echo chambers. Uh, possibly. Um, as, but as I've said, I, I don't know if that would improve it, but I don't think that that's going to make it worse. And you've seen, there were tweets from people in media who suggested that, who said, if, if Trump comes back, if Alex Jones comes back and all that's being spread are peppy memes or whatever like that, then we're leaving and we're out. And there's a lot worse things that could happen for our media than to have less dependency on what Twitter is. So, yeah, that's a real possibility that that happens and it becomes devalued as a product and, you know, celebrities stop using it and all that. And you know what? I don't necessarily think that that's the worst thing for those people as, as a tough love critic of that industry, that could be really good for them. It means getting back to reporting and and trying to be honest. I think that that means just putting bias back in, you know, kind of behind the curtain because that's what Twitter is also very valuable for. It shows you kind of who these people are, the stories they push, the things they believe, um, it's been really invaluable for people like me who, you know, I look at this stuff and I'm like, these, these people are political hacks. Um, but as far as their industry, as far as the actual industry of journalism, if they wanted to get away from Twitter, as we saw what the New York Times looks like they're going to start doing, 
um, that there could be, you know, worse things for their industry. So yeah, it's possible that's what happens. Um, but I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I guess I would like to find out if that's what would happen because uh, it would be good for their industry. It would be bad for people like me, but it would be good for their industry. Um, so again, I, I don't know what would happen if he took it over. I don't know what changes we made. Would Trump be back on Twitter? Would Alex Jones be back on Twitter? Whatever. Um, but as I said, I don't think he can make it worse in its current condition. Yeah. Yeah. No, agree. Um, I, I, my only slight kind of variation on that is I, I don't think like you're putting the genie back in the bottle and journalists are kind of going back to just like print newspapers. I think just, again, all these cast of characters just go onto a new platform and they kind of essentially in one form or fashion reinstitute the same quote unquote model. Well, that's what we tell them. If you don't like, yeah, if you don't like Elon Musk, you know, buying Twitter, go build your own. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great. Thanks, Alex. Um, so my final go, quick yeah, little question thing here was, and it's kind of, it's sort of a spin on kind of Donna's question about Trump is I, I'm kind of less interested, just me personally, my sort of voting record is pretty well aligned kind of with what you've sort of spoken about. Obviously I'm very sympathetic to the right, but I did not pull the lever for, for Trump. So I'm kind of less interested in, do I personally want Trump on or off? But like, What's your thoughts on – I think there's a real argument to be made just if you're completely neutral in that discussion. Is Trump being on or off Twitter good or bad if he assuming he's running for 2024? Like in my opinion, the reason he lost in 2020 is he lost the suburban wine moms. Why did he lose the suburban wine moms? It's 3 a.m. tweets. So like the best thing he can do in 2024 to actually get back into the White House is stay off Twitter. Yeah, like I said, I mean, Matt Iglesias lifted the veil on that and said, you know, everyone agrees that Donald Trump back on Twitter would be beneficial to Democrats and nobody wants to say it. And yeah, I don't I don't know if Trump's tweets necessarily. I think more important things cost him the election. I know they didn't fucking help. You know, yeah, right, I think right. if he would have stayed off Twitter and kept his head down on COVID, he's pro he probably wins a second term and he probably wins it pretty easily considering how close some of those states were. Um, he, 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 you know, he lost by a total of like 40,000 votes over three states. And so that's a, that's a hairline margin and no, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't stolen from him. He lost those fucking states. And that's such a hairline margin for three states. Cause he, he, that's how he won in 2016. He won Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and these states by pretty thin margins. And he almost won Minnesota, which is unheard of. The only fucking state that went for Mondale and Reagan. And if he wins Minnesota, you would have you would have seen the, the party, the Democratic Party, just go complete fucking nuclear, which they almost did over Wisconsin. But you're right. There are a lot of voters who didn't want Hillary Clinton, a lot of blue class voters, blue collar voters who didn't want Hillary Clinton, their independence. And they voted for him. They took a risk on the guy because, you know, he did stunts like show up with hard hats and shit like that. You know, transparently weird stunts that people like me just go, dude, does that shit work? And it worked. <laughs> and then they all swung back to Joe Biden in, the, you know, in the last election. You're right about that. It's just demographically that's what happened. Um, and I mean, I, I think Trump is such an attention hog. He sucks. He willingly sucks the oxygen out of any room that he's in to where if you if if he was offered his Twitter account back tomorrow, 
And his advisors were like, sir, this is going to be a net negative. They're going to use your tweets again. They're going to just do this over and over. The best thing to do is to just keep doing what you're doing now. Just hold your rallies because the press isn't even airing those anymore. And keep meeting with candidates and just do that. He's going to he's going to tell all of those people, even if it's like Ivanka, you know, dad's back on Twitter, um, that even if it's Ivanka, he's going to do it. And so. I look at it and say, if Elon Musk probably buys Twitter, I think you're right. I think Trump's pretty much back on Twitter or the account is restored at least, but they could lock it and just, you know, here are, here are, here are his tweets about, you know, Robert Pattinson and Diet Coke, um, which, which are, we're entertaining at the time. I just didn't want the guy to be president. Um, I do think it's, of course, it's a net negative for re- Republicans. But then again, I'm one of those guys who left the party over Trump and I'm just a cuck that way, I guess. Right. Yep. Yeah. No. And, and like I said, it, it's sort of as you as you mentioned with Donna's answer, it's who wants Trump back on Twitter, the media, but also who wants kind of their just voice blurted out wherever Trump loves hearing Trump. Yeah. So it, uh, despite what it might actually be good politically savvy wise for him. I don't think he thinks that way. I think it's just <laughs> however he can make the most noise possible. And like I said, overtake the narrative and just be the only thing that anyone's talking about. That's all he wants. And if you put him back on Twitter, that's exactly what's going to happen. Whether or not that works out for Republicans or not isn't the point. That's just that's what's going to happen. I'm not here to I'm not here to endorse or pump up the Republican Party, but that's pretty much what's going to have what's going to have happen. It's it's ironic that it's Republicans who are probably like, no, we don't want him back. And it's Democrats being like, oh, yeah, get him back on. Come on. Yeah. Free speech for all. So they're just bad at hiding it. So, Alex, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, Cheers. Good to hear from you. All right, Jeffrey, I'm going to give you the last word here. Make it make it quick. Tell me what you would uh, you would do for Elon Musk. Do one idea. Give me your craziest idea you do for Elon Musk to make Twitter a more tolerable, happier place. Um, okay. Well, we tried. Jeffrey, just come back next week. I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, we went a while here. We went about two hours. So, but I, I was looking at our numbers and I saw people in the caller queue. So, uh, this was fun. Um, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks with this. Again, I don't, I don't know if this goes through. I don't know if he's going to buy Twitter. Uh, I just, again, recapping this previous week, I do know all the right people were very upset at even the idea of it. And again, this was kind of to explore the ideas of why that is. So again, uh, thanks everyone for taking a couple hours out of your weekend. Um, I don't know if you're golfing or watching basketball or whatever, but I, I appreciate it. And so uh, probably be back next week. We probably won't do another weekend show. Uh, as like I said, this was kind of a, a last minute adjustment to some things. Um, but like I said, thanks again for joining. This is Versus Media Live on Colin. I'm Stephen L. Miller. You can get me on Red Steez. Uh, you can also see me writing over at Spectator and uh, now occasionally as well as the uh, Washington Examiner uh, about once a week. So you can get me there and you can get me on Twitter for now still. Uh, at Red Steez. So again, it's good to hear from all of you. I, I like getting uh, 
perspectives from all over the place and not just, again, the uh, the taste makers and the narrative makers. Uh, so I like hearing from you guys because, as I've always said, there's more of you than there are of them. And that's something we should never forget. More voices, not less. Uh, thanks again. And uh, again, feel free to subscribe and I will have this show published. So if you want to pass it on to your friends who heard you, you can do that as well and tell them to sign up and subscribe as well. Thanks, everyone. Go enjoy your weekends. Cheers.